United Church, it's been an amazing day in the house already. And can I just tell you, it's about to get better. I told you last week, but I'm gonna tell you again that we have the amazing opportunity, honor, privilege to hear from one of my very best friends on planet Earth today, Pastor Davey Blackburn. It's an amazing opportunity to be able to hear from one of the most gifted communicators on planet Earth. I believe he's one of the more gifted communicators of our generation. And one of the things I want to tell you today that is so exciting for me to tell you is that Davey Blackburn, he's not just preaching today. Come on, he is joining our team as a teaching pastor at United Church. And so over this next year, he's going to be teaching several times here at United. He's not moving to Delaware. Don't, don't freak out. Don't get way, way, don't get crazy, right? He's, he's living in Indy, but he's going to be coming to United Church many times this year to be able to share the Word of God with us and to encourage us along the way. United Church, can you do me a favor? Can you stand to your feet, both campuses, and give my best friend, give our special guest, give someone who is part of our family the biggest honor we possibly can. And we'll give it up for Davey Black. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you, United Church. Um, both here, Milford, I want to thank you so much for letting me be here. Let me be a part of this. And uh, I just want you to know, man, I, I love, love, love your pastor and Sherry and the entire family. And I love the United family. Come on, you guys are family to us. And we believe, we believe what God is doing at United Church is unprecedented, right? We, I mean, I, mean I, I get the privilege of traveling all over the country, preaching at churches, seeing cultures of churches, and there's something special about what God is doing right here. Come on. And that's not to like, that's not to boast and pat yourself on the back. But I do think that there is an element at which that God moves where he's invited. That he, he interjects where he is welcome. And I just watch over the past several years of journeying this with you that you guys have just welcomed the Lord to do what he wants to do. And the story may not turn out the exact way that you thought it was going to turn out? Come on. But how many of you know that Jesus' story is way better than our story, right? That he always does something way better than we could ever ask or imagine. And there's not a better week to be reminded of that this week as we go into what's called Passion Week. Next week is Easter. And um, I mean, there's like, we talk about this kind of in terms of metaphors or symbols. You've got kind of your Friday season of life. You know what I mean when I say Friday season of life? Friday was the day that Jesus was put on a cross and it looked like that sin and shame and guilt and pain had ultimately won. And then there was like a Saturday, like a waiting season where Jesus was in the grave. But on Sunday, come on. On Sunday, Jesus got up from the grave, defeated sin, defeated shame, defeated guilt, defeated pain. Come on, he put death in its grave. And that's why we celebrate. No, 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 no. Here, here, here's the deal, here's the deal. We don't just celebrate on Easter though, right? We're looking in anticipation, okay? But I say all this to say that you might be here going, my story hasn't turned out the way I thought that my story should turn out. Let me, can I tell you something? Your story right now is in a Friday or Saturday chapter. Hey, Sunday's coming. Let's go, friends. Sunday is coming. He is good. He is perfect. He will turn it around. And that's what I love to see week after week after week. I love to see that in people's uh, lives all over the country, but I really love getting to be a part of that here at United Church. So we're glad to be a part of what God is doing right here. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna dive in because I got a message I wanna share with you. It's really deep on my heart. So let's pray together. Jesus, we just ask so much that you would just be here. We welcome you. We ask that you would, 
you would be in our, not just in our midst, but that you would permeate our lives, that we would walk out of here different people. We don't wanna be the same. <laughs> we came in here with, with different things. We came in here with different burdens, different doubts, different fears, different concerns, different worries, different strongholds, different addictions, different emotions that we're just, we don't know how to carry this. And so we just ask that you would show up. You do what only you can do and that we would walk out of here different people and that the world would see that we are different and they would be drawn to you because of it. We thank you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Say hey to a couple people as you take a seat. Yeah. Hey. Uh, hey, if you're new to United um, and, and I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Davey. And uh, I, I am your pastor's best friend. He is my best friend. We have been so for a while. We've been doing ministry for a while uh, together. Um, in some instances, in some seasons, I hope in my message, I get a chance to share some of it with you. I hope we have the time. This is the second experience. So hopefully we do have the time. Got a little time to do this, but I wanna share with you some ministry that we were able to do together in college to inspire you and stir you up. So we lived together in college for a few years. Um, I, I watched as Kenneth and, and Sherry, Pastor Kenneth and Sherry dated and got to be a part of their lives. We would go on, um, I, I wasn't, my, the, my late wife that I was dating at the time, she was at long distance. And so I wasn't dating somebody at our college campus. So we would go on what's called Davy dates. <laughs> that was Kenneth and Sherry and me, the third wheel. <clears throat> and there'd be times I'd walk in and be like, hey, is tonight a Davy date? They're like, no. <laughs> Just the two of us, right? They'd kick me out. I'd have to go figure out something to do. And you know, as, this, as the years have gone on, uh, Pastor Kenneth and I have done ministry together from afar, and it's just kind of intersected in different ways. So I'm just glad in this new season to be able to walk with you guys in this um, and just be able to bring hopefully some fresh uh, perspective in some things. I think it's important to always have fresh perspective coming into our lives so we can see things in different ways um, from different vantage points. And so I wanna open up God's word to you today. While you're turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, that's where we're going to be is Mark chapter 2. I want to draw your attention to something. What I get to do full-time is I lead a ministry called Nothing is Wasted Ministries, and uh, we help people in trauma, tragedy, and major life transitions. We essentially help people take the Friday and Saturday seasons of their life, maximize those seasons, learn everything that they need to learn out of those seasons, heal from those seasons, grow in those seasons so that they can live out a Sunday season of their life. See what I'm saying? And so this is what we wanna do. Uh, and, the, and you as a church, you partner with us. You guys offer our course called the Pain to Purpose course. I was here um, back last year at the end of the year and did a workshop. Some of you guys attended that. We have a new semester of Pain to Purpose that's starting Thursday, May 5th. So if you're interested in being a part of that, of going from whatever pain maybe you're working through, doesn't matter, across the board, whether it's divorce, death, chronic pain, loss of a loved one, whether it's you know, um, some regret that you have from your past, whatever pain is paralyzing you, you can live on purpose. And we wanna walk you through that. It's a 12 week course on how to do that. You guys have groups that do this together. So text my group to 94000 if you're interested in that. All right, you guys turn to Mark chapter two, you there? We there? Okay, if not, it's gonna be right here. It'll be very convenient for you. Let me kind of kick it off with this. I'm becoming more self-aware. That's a good thing. Everybody should become more self-aware, okay? I'm becoming more self-aware that I, um, I have issues. <laughs> and, 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 and my wife will often remind me of issues. How many of you know that marriage reminds you of how selfish you are? Let's go. You think that you are doing really well until you get married. And then you think, okay, you gotta got it figured out. And then you have kids. And you're like, man, I am really selfish, you know? But, but there are some things that I do. I have some tendencies 
to, to, to not listen to my wife about certain things. And she'll try to tell me these things and she'll, she's trying to help me. And I hear it from somebody else and, and I have this aha moment, right? And I come back and tell her, hey, I've got this, wow, I just had this revelation of something I should do. And she's like, I've been telling you that for six months. You ever, come on, you feel like that? Let's go. All of the wives in this room are like, absolutely, you know. I mean, I'll go to a conference and, you know, Christy's been telling me like, this is what we need to do for our team and how we need to shift some things in leadership or maybe we should implement this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Let me consider that. And then I'll go to a conference and some leader gets up and like, this is what you need to do. And right down the list, I'm like, guess what, babe? Here's what we're going to do. I've got a great idea. She's like, okay. You know. It happened for me. I was pointed out, this was pointed out to me a couple years ago because um, I, it, it, was, it, was, it was regarding Harry Potter. All right. Now this is a polarizing thing to bring up. All right. But the first time Harry Potter was brought up to me, some friends of ours that actually worked on my staff at the church I pastored at the time, they said, you've got to watch Harry Potter. And I'm like, Harry Potter? I wish I could communicate to you the condescension that came from my voice. I'm like, who did we just hire? Harry Potter? Do you know how satanic that is? Do you know how terrible? What? Harry Potter? Well, then I was having a conversation with my brother-in-law and I like my brother. I think he's really cool. I think he's very wise. I think he's got some, and he came, he was like, dude, I just watched this movie the other day, Harry Potter. It's really good. And I was like, you watch Harry Potter? <laughs> Wait, no, no, you, I, well, if you watch Harry Potter, I think maybe I could watch Harry Potter. So I go back to my friend, I'm like, hey, I think we should watch Harry Potter. And they look at me, Harry Potter? <laughs> I wish I could communicate to you the condescension that came from there voices. And so we did. We got together one Sunday night and we did the whole, it was like right around Halloween season. We had pumpkins and candles. Nothing weird like that. It was just, we were getting in the you know, spirit of things. We made brownies and we sat down, we watched Harry Potter. And at the end of it, I was like, that's amazing. It was like the greatest movie I'd ever seen. Now, some of you are like, but Davy, it's satanic. Actually, there's a lot of gospel undertones in Harry Potter, especially spoiler alert, when he like gives up his life and then comes back from the dead, which by the way, reminds me that eternity is written on everybody's heart. That even in major mass media, you look at almost every narrative, every story, line, every plot line, that we want somebody other than us to come in and rescue us from our plight. Come on, United Church, I'm preaching this right now, that the eternity, the gospel is written on our hearts, and sometimes we don't even know it. And we're stirred and moved by this. And I'm like, that was awesome. So the next seven Sunday nights, we watched the entire Harry Potter series. It was awesome. Recently, this happened to me with Pinterest. Somebody's like, you need to get on Pinterest. And I'm like, Pinterest? What do I need to get on Pinterest for? They were like, well, it's really cool. It's got like good recipes. And I'm like, recipes? <laughs> like, what do you, I got Chick-fil-A down the road. I don't need recipes, you know? <laughs> and then my brother-in-law, same guy. He goes, dude, I just got on this thing called Pinterest. It's pretty cool. And I'm like, what? You do Pinterest? He's like, yeah, man, there's like some really cool men style guides on there. And I'm like, give me Pinterest, you know? <laughs> now I have a Pinterest. Like it's just, I mean, not, nobody follows me and that's fine. I just kind of like do my little boards and pin things. And you know, I got DIY projects on there and things for the house and all this kind of stuff. It's really cool. But here's the thing. It took the right person to tell me about that for me to actually begin to buy in. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, that's our experience sometimes in our walk with Jesus, isn't it? I mean, many of us can remember when we weren't following Jesus. 
And maybe you're here and maybe you're not following Jesus. You're kind of kicking the tires around. You're checking this thing out. And listen, this is the place for you to check it out. You can belong here before you even believe. Come on, United Church. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be kind of checking things out a little bit. This is where we want you to wrestle with these kinds of big existential questions of like, what, what, what do I believe and why do I believe this? But many of us in this room, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that he is Lord. We believe he died on the cross to, to forgive us of our sins. We believe that he raised from the dead. But there was a time where we didn't believe that. There was a time that honestly, for some of us, it sounded really absurd. Like, wait, God? came to earth as a man, sounds like Hercules, <laughs> and he walked the earth and he performed miracles. I've never seen a miracle. I don't know about that. And then he died on a tree so that our sins could be washed by the blood of the lamb. Sounds creepy. Oh, and then you're telling me he like got up from the dead? Okay, never, okay, I've been to funerals, never been to a funeral where that happened. I don't know about that, right? And maybe there was a time that you were skeptical and you thought that this whole thing sounded a little bit absurd. But then there was that person, come on. In our story, we always have that, every one of us has that person. We can think about that person where we're like, something shifted for me. Like I saw this person, I interacted with this person and there was something different about them. Yeah, maybe I didn't quite believe what they believed, but I couldn't argue with the way they lived their life. There was something radiant about them. They like, it's like, why are you glowing? Like, I know you're not pregnant because you're a dude. Like what's going, like what's different? I want that. I don't understand. I'm watching you walk through difficult things and you have this peace. And you have this resolve and you have this fortitude and, and yeah, you're honest about how tough it is and yet for some reason you're able to still make really wise decisions. Like how are you doing this? And something switched for us. And it was because the right person invited us to church or shared the gospel with us. And, and I just wonder, listen, I just wonder if you might be the right person for somebody else. I just wonder. And I have to think about this when we come into a season like Easter, because for whatever reason, there's two dates on a calendar that people will be more apt to come to church, Christmas and Easter. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we call like, you know, Christ, people that call themselves Christians and they go to church, just Christ, we call them CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only Christians, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But I don't, it's like so, for some reason, when you think about Easter, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're kind of like, man, maybe I should go to church, right? The devil goes to church on Easter. We probably should go to church. I don't, maybe you should go to church. I don't, and so for whatever reason, there are people in your life that they're, they're thinking about it already. It's kind of coming up on them. And I just wonder if you might be the right person that has already made an investment in their life that could step across the line just a little bit of discomfort and invite them to come to church. And maybe, just maybe, God could do something powerful in their life. Now, I see this in, um, in Mark chapter 2. Because there was this man that had a radical encounter with Jesus, but it took the right people to bring him to Jesus. All right, let's take a look at this. Mark chapter 2, it says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, let me stop right there. 
Uh, Capernaum is in the region of Galilee. I've actually been there. Pastor Kenneth and I are talking about potentially uh, doing a trip to Israel, by the way. So if anybody is interested in going to Israel, stay tuned for that. Wouldn't that be awesome to go and walk in the places that Jesus walked? I promise, when you go to Israel, the Bible goes from like black and white to color. You understand things differently. So when I read this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, before going to Israel, I was like, ah, what does that mean? Now I go, oh my gosh. And it opens my world up because I've been to Capernaum. I've actually been to the house that most scholars believe this passage took, uh, took place at. And, and so we'll talk about that in a second, but it says he went to Capernaum. Capernaum is where Jesus spent most of his ministry. In fact, most of the documented miracles that we have was in Capernaum. It's actually the place that he made his home, most scholars believe. He, he grew up in Nazareth, but he made his home in Capernaum in Peter's mother-in-law's house. That's at least what most scholars believe. So it says a few days later, he went again to Capernaum where he made his home. What was he doing a few days before that? Well, a few days before that, he, he was on this campaign where he was going to find his disciples. Who are going to be the disciples that, I, that, that follow me and that ultimately I use to turn the world around? So he's going around, he's healing people. In fact, the passage right before this, he comes across a guy with, a, with leprosy, which is a skin disease, that ultimately shoved this man out of society so he couldn't work, he couldn't be a part of community, he couldn't get resources. And so this disease led to so many other livelihood issues. And so this, guy, so this guy's getting shoved out. Jesus encounters him. Jesus heals him. And then Jesus tells him this. He says, hey, don't tell anybody that I've healed you, which is odd. Jesus had his reasons. He didn't want the word to get around too much yet because his time hadn't come yet. And this is what this man does. He goes, okay, and immediately goes out and starts telling everybody, which tells me this. When Jesus transforms your life, you can't keep it silent. You can't keep, you can't hold back. Even if you try to filter it, even if you try, if you truly have had an encounter with Jesus, you become an evangelist. An evangelist is someone that will champion and tell everybody about the things they're excited about. Here's my question though. Why is it that we're excited about talking about Harry Potter or Pinterest or man, what I'm really into now, CrossFit. I'll tell everybody about CrossFit. Why am I so excited about that? I have no problem telling people about that but I struggle to tell people about how Jesus has radically changed my life. Why? David, you have trouble with that? I thought you were a preacher. I am. I get up on stage and it, it's normal for me to talk about Jesus. You are, you are expecting that on some level. But when we go through life, it's very uncomfortable to talk about Jesus, isn't it? especially in our society today. I wonder if it's a spiritual thing. Think about it. Who, who would love nothing more than to keep people whose lives have been changed, believers, silent about what Jesus has done in their life? The enemy. Because he doesn't want people at your workplace. He doesn't want people at your school. He doesn't want people in your gym. He doesn't want people in your community or in your neighborhood. He doesn't want them experiencing the same hope that you've experienced, the same life that you've experienced. And so he's going to create this discomfort around that conversation to where you, where, where you just stay silent. So, so I wonder, I wonder sometimes why is it that even though I stand on stage I don't know if I'm preaching at you. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. Even though I make a living telling people about Jesus, I have trouble telling my neighbor about him. 
Why is that? There was a season in my life that I would, I told, I would tell everybody about it. I hope I can get to that season in a second. You got to listen faster so I can get to that and t- tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what's going on here because it says he's on this campaign and it says the people heard that he had come home. Here it was. Now let's go to the next verse. It says, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. Okay, let me, this is crazy. If I'm Jesus, I'm struggling with this because I just came back from pouring myself out to people, helping people. Now I'm coming home. When I go home, listen, I'm an extrovert, but when I go home from like preaching and stuff, you know what I want to do? I want to sit down. I want to light a candle. I want to light a fire. I want to get a good book. And I want to scroll through Pinterest. That's what I want to do. I don't want to talk to anybody. Because people, listen, people drain me. And I wonder sometimes if the reason that we struggle sharing our faith, the reason we struggle interacting with people is because we're just drained. Come on. Aren't we just tired? Like hasn't this season even like exacerbated it more that we're like, I just don't want to interact with people. Because I'm just tired. And we have this phrase sometimes that we say in our household, people suck. (laughs) Don't judge me. I'm being honest in church. You need to be honest in church. I know you're not used to it, but you believe it too sometimes, don't you? Don't you have those people in your life where you're like, man, it just drains me. It just sucks the life out of me. Like the vampire people in your life. If you don't have one of those people in your life, guess what? You are that for everybody else. Just sucking the life out of people, sucking the life, drama, all this toxicity, all this kind of, sometimes people can suck. And listen to me, when you are in ministry, when you are pouring your life out to people, people can suck. They can say things about you. They can say, and if you don't understand it, that means you're not getting involved in ministry the way that you should. It's not professionals that need to get involved in ministry. It's the people that need to get involved in ministry. But when you pour yourself out to people, you'll become drained. And you'll want to, you'll want to retreat. You'll want to get alone. And you'll begin to wane in your compassion for other people. Jesus is by him. He's going home to rest. And these crowds flock to him. Now, this isn't the only time that this happened in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 14, it says that Jesus finds out that his cousin is beheaded, is killed. So he goes away to grieve. He's trying to get some solitary time. I mean, just let the guy mourn the loss of his cousin and his best friend. But these crowds are following him and they, they want something from him. But it says that Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion on them. What is it about Jesus that even in his most depleted moments, he can have compassion on other people? Come on. And then he performed to, what, to the account that we have the greatest miracle of volume that we have a written account about, the feeding of the 5,000, which tells me this, out of our brokenness, we can still be a blessing to other people. But here's the key. Look at this. Here's the key. In this verse, go back to that verse, Jesus didn't try to offer himself. It says there was no room, not even outside the door, and he, look, preached the what? Word to them. He didn't offer himself. He didn't try to pour out himself. He didn't offer advice. He didn't say, here's kind of three points and here's a, he preached the word. 
Of all people, Jesus is God. He could have just offered himself. In fact, John tells us that he is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the word, but instead of offering himself, he offers the word. Why would he offer the word? Because the word is powerful. Come on, friends. At the very beginning of time, God spoke a word over what, what the Hebrew text calls the tohu vohu, which is chaotic nothingness of, of, this, of this universe. There was nothing. It was chaotic. And he speaks a word, and it begins to bring order to the chaos. And over six days, he creates by speaking a word. His word is powerful. In Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, he says, speak a word over this valley of dry bones. And when Ezekiel spoke the word over the valley of dry bones, those bones assembled into a skeleton. And he said, speak the word again, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel spoke the word again, and muscle and tendons and sinew begin to gather around this skeleton. He said, speak the word one more time. And he spoke the word and life was breathed into him. And so no longer was it a valley of dry bones. It was an army ready to move in action. It's the same word that Jesus spoke when he called Lazarus out of the grave. When he said, Lazarus, come forth. The word brings dead things to life. The word breaks chains. The word heals people. The word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. He spoke the word. Can I tell you something? Next week, the word is going to be spoken right here. Every week, the word is spoken right here. The only reason you've had an encounter with Jesus is because someone spoke the word to you. The word is what's powerful and the word is what will draw people and the word is what will transform people. And so rather than operating out of empty being depleted, I wonder if you just lived out the word and when given the opportunity, you spoke the word. But you can't give something that you don't possess. Which is why it's so important for us friends to be in the word so that the word can get in us. Many of us are depleted because we're operating from empty. We're pouring out. When we serve people, the idea is not to pour out. The idea is to overflow. So the word fills us up and then just we go about life and, and it just overflows onto other people. You know those people, don't you? And you've probably experienced seasons where you've been operating out of overflow and seasons where you've been operating out of empty. Jesus gave the word and people are clamoring. And they're like, you've got the words of life. I want to see this. I want to hear from you. I, I want something from you, Jesus. Jesus probably was depleted, which is probably why we struggle to interact with people and share our faith. I also wonder, though, if we struggle sometimes because we're just distracted. Right? We're just, we're just going about life. We just got this thing and this thing and we're dropping the kids off and we got work and we got to do this and we're getting the kids fed, getting them to bed and we got the beeps and pings and bleats and tings and all these different notifications and dings that are happening inside of it. And we're going, what's it? And everything's just, we're just distracted. And so we're focused on our things rather than focused on Jesus's things. You see, this house is full, but I don't, I don't know if the house was just full. I wonder if the house was distracted do this for me. Why don't, right here in Milford, you guys stand up real quick. I want to illustrate this for you. Just stand up. 
And I want you to move out into the aisles a little bit. I want, to, I want you to get a sense of what this house was like. This house was full. It says that there was no room in this house. People came and he preached the word. Look what it says right here. It says, some men came bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them. Go to the next one. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Stop. Go ahead and take that off. I don't want you reading ahead. They couldn't get there. All right. Jesus is talking. I'm not Jesus. So let's act like Jesus is right here. By the way, he's here every time we gather. Okay. Jesus is here. All right. So, so Jesus is talking. They're teaching and people are like, yes, I need the words of life. I feel so empty. You've got what I need. And they're looking at Jesus and they're focused on Jesus. But in their focusing on Jesus, they failed to see Jesus. What I mean by that is they failed to see the heart of Jesus because they were focusing on Jesus for what they could get. But Jesus walked through life focusing on what he could give. Because as they're focused up here, their attention is directed up here. Who's in the back not able to get to Jesus? Where's Jesus focused on? You see, here's the thing. In our walk with Jesus, so many times what we can do is we can focus so much on me and growth and discipleship and trying to make sure I'm growing. And that's so good. But listen to me, you can't truly grow as a disciple and grow close to Jesus without your heart breaking for the things that Jesus' heart breaks for. There were also people in this, in this uh, house known as Pharisees. They were teachers of the law and Pharisees get a really bad rap. They weren't as bad of people as what we tend to tell people are. They just missed it. The Pharisees actually had this fundamental belief. They believed that everybody needed to have full devotion and obedience to God. Is that a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. Their belief was that the Messiah would not come until everybody in their community had full devotion and obedience to God. So they went around being the police of devotion and obedience. And so the people who were like the paralyzed, the sick, the lame, because they were not allowed to, based on the law, come in to worship God, they believed that the sick, the paralyzed, the lame, the blind, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, that those were the people that were keeping the Messiah from coming. Newsflash, the Messiah came for the sick, the blind, the paralyzed, the lepers. Jesus said, listen, he said, I don't come for the well, I come for the sick. And United Church, what I love about this church is this is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. This is... Those of us who say, I've got a mess, I need, Jesus has changed my life. But listen, in the process of Jesus transforming us, he's going to turn our vision around to see the people and the things that his heart breaks for, and they missed it. And I wonder if our lives look like this. They're so full, they're so busy that we just miss it. We miss the paralyzed man. He's there. He's sitting across from you at the cubicle. He's at your spin class. He's, he rides your bus with you. He's there. Do you see it? Or are you so busy and so distracted? So trying to figure out how you can get yours. You see, if they had really focused on Jesus, they would have made a way for this man to come through. Because their heart would have been breaking for the same thing that Jesus' heart broke for I don't know if you guys have this thing here in um, Delaware. We have it in Indianapolis. <clears throat> it's called snow. You guys get it here? I grew up in Alabama. And believe me, I'll let you sit down in just a second. Just, just one second, okay? 
I grew up in Alabama and we didn't have snow in Alabama. Like first time it flurried, like just the threat of it, they shut schools down. Everybody went and wiped all the milk and the bread out of the grocery aisles. Like you could, it was like apocalypse, right? They just like forecast it. Well, when it actually started flurrying, we're like, what is this? Is this like cotton coming down? Like we had no idea. Well, then I moved to Indiana and we had just dumped like eight inches one night. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way. We're gonna be out of this for like, out of work for a week. Kids aren't going to school. I wake up the next morning, everybody's going to work. Everybody's going to school. I'm like, what happened? The roads are all clear. I'm like, how in the world did that happen? So they explained it to me. They said, well, we have these things called salt trucks. And the salt trucks come and they plow the roads and they pour salt down to melt the ice. I'm like, salt? That's odd. I just didn't know. They explained the science to me. I'm like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Don't miss this. The salt trucks clear the way for people to get to where they need to go. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls us the salt of the earth? That we as believers are called to clear the way, to remove the obstacles, to get everything that would stand in the way from people encountering Jesus. We're called to move it out of the way. And yet so many of us live with our lives blocking people from meeting Jesus because we're distracted or because we're depleted or because we're just drained or because it's, dis- it's just so much discomfort. And I wonder what it would look like if we just cleared the way, just cleared the way. How do I do that, Davey? Just be kind. <laughs> Let's pray and go home, okay? (laughs) I wonder what it would look like if it wasn't just our lips that said we were following Jesus, but our lives matched up with it. Because anytime our lives don't match up with our lips, with what our lips say, it puts an obstacle in people's way. John the Baptist said, I am a voice in the wilderness crying, make straight the way for the Lord. Clear the way, clear the way, clear the way. And then listen, we don't have to do the work. Jesus is the one that draws hearts. Jesus is the one that changes hearts. We just got to make sure we don't get in the way. alleviate so much pressure. Okay, you guys can sit down. Milford, you guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. They didn't clear the way, and so the men who were carrying this paralytic had to make a way. They had to make a way. So this is what they did. It says, since they couldn't get to him because Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the man Lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Okay, this is crazy. They couldn't get through the crowd, so they go up on top of the roof, or roof, depending on what area of the country you live in. They go up on top of the roof, and and they start to dig in there. Now, I've been to this house. This is Peter's mother-in-law's house, at least most scholars believe. So first of all, let's talk about this. Peter was crazy. I'm talking redneck crazy. Peter's known as the cussing disciple. He cussed in front of Jesus one time. If you're cussing in front of Jesus, you're redneck crazy. (laughs) So I want you to think about how dangerous this is for these guys to crawl up on Peter's mother-in-law's roof. Peter's the kind of guy that would take a shotgun and mess your world up if you get up on top of his roof. So these guys are like, I got an idea. Let's go up on top of the roof. If I'm the man lying on the mat, I'm like, no, 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 you're not taking me up on that roof. Unless you got a pulley system or a crane, we're not going up there. I've been on rooftops. This is dangerous to go on rooftops. I don't know if you guys were working on a roof yesterday when 
you were doing Serve Delaware, but the church I used to pastor, we used to do the same thing where we'd serve different houses and different schools in Indianapolis. And I got up on top of a rooftop one time. It was me and my buddy, Justin. And then our friend who was volunteering, who owned a roofing company, his name was Gerardo. And Gerardo was like parkour on top of that roof. This pitch was just like this. And he's going around, he's like jumping up and down. There's this wire, this electrical wire going right above this rooftop and he's jumping over it and he's going under it. And he's like, and I'm like, this guy's crazy. Justin and I are looking, we're going. We stood there like this for an hour. You right, bro? I'm right. Serving our city. (laughs) I don't get up on top of rooftops. Unless it's serious. And these men, to them, it was serious. Their friend needed to encounter Jesus. And I wonder if one of the reasons we're not willing to step over discomfort and have a conversation or invite somebody to church, I wonder if for one of the reasons why we're not willing to engage with people is because we don't understand how serious this is. You understand, friends, when someone steps into eternity far from God, they've chosen their whole life to reject the ways of God. It's in God's grace and kindness that they, they've rejected him their whole life. They're gonna live separated from God for all of eternity. And I wonder if it's just because they don't know or because the right person hasn't come along and invited them. See, God's heart is that nobody would perish, but that all would come to repentance is what scripture tells us. That he's actually holding back until until everybody has had a shot to follow after him and to have their life transformed. And I just wonder if we understood the gravity of this, if it would create a sense of urgency in us. See, um, back in college, Kenneth and I began to discover the gravity of this. We went to a college that was a Christian college and we both went to study ministry. Southern Wesleyan University went and played baseball on a scholarship there. And we thought that because it was a Christian college, it was gonna be like youth camp on steroids. You know what I mean? Like revival all the time. That was our thought. We show up and it was like the very opposite. Like, in fact, you could go literally split right down the middle of the cafeteria. You had on one side, you had Christians who were there for the Christian atmosphere and the other side, athletes. And both Kenneth and I, I remember walking into the cafeteria and we're Christian ministry majors and athletes going, who do we, who do we go with? Well, the problem is, is the Christians were judging the athletes for their behavior and their lifestyle, even though they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They were like the Pharisees, totally missing the point. The fact that God's heart breaks for people who are far from him. And so they're wanting to clean up these athletes' lifestyle, but the athletes resented that. So they didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. Kenneth and I show up on the scene and we're like, we felt the tension. In fact, we'd sit in Bible classes, like systematic theology, and we'd hear from our friends, man, I can't wait to be in ministry one day. I can't wait to be in ministry one day. I can't wait to be in ministry one day. And they would leave that class. They'd go play Halo 3 in their underwear the rest of the afternoon, right? All the while, half of our campus didn't know Jesus. Kenneth and I are going to practice, and we're hearing 
all of the conversation that was not a very godly conversation, but God began breaking our hearts for these guys. And even though we were doing school and, you know, like we were practicing and we were trying to have a social life, like even though we're drained and we're tired and even though it was uncomfortable and even though there were times that we were distracted, like God just began to just break our hearts for these guys. So we started praying for them. Just started praying one at a time. Like put this roster up on our walls. Every time we see this roster, we pray for these guys by name. We pray for these guys by name. We pray for these guys by name. You see, something became really urgent in us. I remember hearing a guy named Mark Cahill. We went to Clemson FCA while we were in college and heard this guy named Mark Cahill. He spoke and he preached a message called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And what he said is, man, you can do everything that we do in church and in Christian communities and circles in heaven. You can have Bible study. You can do small groups. You can do Christian fellowship. You can have church. You can hear the word being preached. You can meet all your biblical heroes. The one thing you can't do is share Christ with someone who doesn't know Christ. And it wrecked us. It created inside of us a desperation that caused us to want to jump over our discomfort, jump over our depletion being drained, jump over our distraction and say, whatever it takes, we want to see these guys come to know Christ. See, I just, that, that's what these guys did. They lower him down through a roof. I mean, I imagine this has got to be kind of odd, right? They're like all sitting around and listening and then all of a sudden they hear the scuttle and then like mud starts coming down and like, you know, everything's just falling. From, and I'm, Peter's mother-in-law is probably upset because she fluffed all the pillows. She vacuumed. She made sure everything was good because she saw it on Pinterest, right? She, so she's, she's all right. But you know, you know what? When people who are far from God, when they start to encounter Jesus, you better believe that mess is gonna come into the house. You better believe mess is gonna come in. The question is, are you okay with mess coming into the house? And I would, I would venture to say that many of you guys are okay with that because listen, you're like, I've been there. I am there. I'm so glad I can bring my mess to United Church. And I'm not gonna be judged and I'm not gonna be condemned, but, I'm, but lovingly, we're gonna walk through how to heal from some of this brokenness and how to truly follow after Jesus. You see, these guys in, in college, they, their life was messy. <laughs> it was messy. All they're talking about is on the weekend, who they're gonna sleep with and where they're gonna go drink and all this. And we're like, man, there's this one guy named John Shulo. Pastor Kenneth ever talked to you about John Shulo? Man. Of all people, we're like, this guy's never gonna meet Jesus. He's the last person that'll meet Jesus. John Shula walked around, he looked like Johnny Bravo. You know the cartoon? <laughs> Big old upper body, little small legs from Pittsburgh. Talked like, he looked like he should play linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's like, oh, how you doing, man? You know? Man, I, we're like, we counted one time on a pitch counter how many times he dropped the F-bomb in a 10-minute drive. It was like 176 times. We're back in the back of this bus going, like, how do you even do that, you know? And this guy was so far away from God, it was crazy. But we just started praying, just started praying. And one day, John Shulo calls me up. He goes, hey, uh, you want to go for a run? You didn't run with John Shulo. This guy was crazy. He's like, I'm like, how far do you want to run? He goes, four miles. I'm like, I'm a baseball player. I run 90 feet. Like, that's, that's what we do. But, 
but it looked to me that, like this was a door of opportunity. Can I tell you something? If you start to open your eyes up because your heart is breaking for the things that break God's heart, you will see the doors of opportunity. I wonder this week if you would just ask God to show you the doors of opportunity. And it might mean going for a four mile run with somebody. So we're on this run and I'm like huffing and puffing and the whole time I'm asking him questions. And it wasn't weird questions. It wasn't like I was trying to make something spiritual that wasn't, you know, like, oh, you have new shoes. You know, shoes have a soul. You know what else has a soul? Like nothing like that. It wasn't weird like that just trying to figure out like, how do we bring this conversation and ask him some real life tough questions? At the end of it, I share the gospel with him. We're sitting outside of our apartment on the curb and I look at him, my heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm like, man, this is the moment. I think I'm gonna lead somebody to Christ for the very first time. Shula looks at me. I look back at him. He puts his arm around me. He goes, good talks, man, thanks. And he walks up to his apartment. I'm like, what, that was it? The next day we call him to invite him to church. He goes, hey, I know you want me to come to church with you, but I got to study. You don't study. <laughs> he said, but when, I, when you guys get back, can I come over and we can talk some more about Jesus? That was really interesting yesterday. So he comes over, Kenneth and I open up Matthew to him because we didn't know where to start. Can I show you something? Let me pause for just a second on that story. Look what, look what it says right here. Um, go back. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Does it say that when Jesus saw they had all the right answers? Does it say when Jesus knew exactly, when Jesus saw that they knew exactly what to say and how to lead somebody to Christ? Does it say when Jesus saw that, you know, they had their lives all cleaned up? No, it says when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. We'll talk about that in just a second. That's a little bit odd because it's like, well, what about my legs? You know, it says Jesus saw their faith. Now, I was, a, I was an English major for a semester in college until I switched to communications, but I learned a little bit of grammar, and there is plural. I don't know if you know this. It's plural possessive, meaning multiple people possessed faith. Who is there? Who is there? Anybody? The friends. Had nothing to do with his faith. Nothing to do with the man who was paralyzed. It was their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, not when Jesus saw that they had everything all together, that they figured it out, that they knew the exact right words to say, that they were really confident. That, no, when he saw their faith, faith is an action, friends. It's demonstrable. It is something that you can see. It can be displayed. It can, right there, he saw their faith. And, and, and if this could happen, listen, what's going to happen here is that this man's going to be healed. And if this man could be healed because of their faith, what could happen in Dover, Delaware? What could happen in Milford, Delaware? What could happen all over the state and the country because of united, collective, plural, possessive, our faith? That we believe that God can do what he says he would do. That he wants to save people. That he wants to heal people. That he wants to restore people. When Jesus saw their faith. So Kenneth and I are sitting there and we're like, we have no idea what to say, what to do. We're going to open up the book of Matthew. Start with the birth of Jesus. That sounds about right. Let's start from the beginning. So we started talking about the Immaculate Conception. I don't know why we talked to him about the Immaculate Conception. It's just like, we're, uh, we're Bible students trying to figure this whole thing out. He goes, wait, you mean Mary and Joseph didn't have sex before they had Jesus? Like, yeah, it's crazy. The Holy Spirit and this, right? He goes, does that happen a lot? <laughs> no, man, I don't got that never happened like before ever. 
He didn't know a thing, but it took the right people that stepped over discomfort, stepped over feeling drained, stepped over being distracted and got desperate. And that night, listen to me, six foot four, 245 pound John Shulo with his Bible out in front of him, laying on the floor of our apartment with his head in his hands like this and his feet kicked up. That man that night gave his life to Jesus. Friends, it started a revival. Sherry can attest to this. It started a revival on our team and then that spread all the way throughout our campus like I've never seen before. I know I don't have much time. I'm gonna share this with you and then we're gonna close. The next night, we get a knock on our door. Two guys, Dustin and Scotty, they go, what's up with Shulo? Like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? We asked him to go clubbing tonight. He said he wouldn't come. Why are you here? With... Well, he said it had something to do with what happened in here last night. Oh, you know what's interesting? When someone's life is transformed by Jesus, you don't have to go and try to modify their behavior and tell them what they can and cannot do. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. You don't have to be the whistleblower on somebody else's life. That's what the Pharisees did and they missed it. We're like, well, we never told him he couldn't go clubbing. They said, huh, this is what they said. Do you think you guys could come over and talk to us about Jesus too? Kenneth and I will never forget this. We're closing the door. We're looking at you like, yeah, what is happening? <laughs> we go over to Dustin and Scotty's house that, or apartment that night and they both kneel on their apartment floor and they give their lives to Jesus. And that semester, 15 guys came to know Christ on our, on our baseball team. The next semester, 40 athletes all across our campus. Listen, and it started, can, can I tell you this? It didn't start with two guys who had it all together, who knew what to do and were like this valiant. No, we were just desperate. And our hearts were breaking for the things that break God's heart. And we just thought, maybe, just maybe, maybe God can do what he says that he does. And I wonder if we could have the faith to step into that. That's my challenge to us today, guys. This week, I believe right now there are people who are, you're just, you're thinking of people right now. They're coming up in your minds. You're like, man, I need to invite this person next week. I need to, Invite, what could happen? I mean, just one, one little invite, how that could sweep a revival across, not just this city or this state, but across the country. Do you believe that God could, do you have the faith to believe that God could do something profound? See, this man got his sins forgiven. That's awesome, right? That's great. But what about his legs? You know? It's interesting that Jesus always drills to the heart first. How many of our friends and the people we come in contact with, how many people at our workplace, they, they have marriage issues. They've got financial issues, mental health issues. They've got different addictions and stuff, but that's not the real issue. The real issue is something deeper. Like how do you, how do you change your marriage? How do you have a marriage change? Well, you have to become more selfless, less selfish. Well, how do you do that? You have a heart change. How do you change your, fin- your, your financial life? Well, you become less greedy, more content, more disciplined. Well, how do you do that? You have a heart change. Well, what about your mental health? How do you become more at peace and not anxious and, you know, and depressed and stuff? Well, you have, a, you have a heart change, an identity change. You rest in who you are and whose you are in Christ. There's, friends, what, what, what our friends need is a heart change. And that's what Jesus said. 
Your, your sins are forgiven. Oh, and just so you know, I can also heal you. Get up and walk. And this man got up and walked. And it says that everybody there was amazed. And they began to tell people all over the region. Because you can't keep it silent. Can we do this? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just wonder right now in this moment, two things. One, I wonder how many in this room, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today's the day to step into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe for, for a while now, you've been feeling him draw you. And, and you know that today, man, today's the day that I put my trust in Jesus, my hope in Jesus, my faith in Jesus. I've been trying to do it by myself, but I believe, man, Jesus died on the cross for me to cover my sins, for my forgiveness, so that I don't have to walk in shame. I don't have to walk in guilt anymore. I don't have to walk in condemnation. My sin is as far removed from me as the East is from the West. And not only that, not only do I walk in forgiveness, but he raised from the dead to empower me to walk in freedom. I can have a Holy Spirit-filled life. I can walk into seeing strongholds in my life broken, addictions broken. I can walk as a whole person, no longer broken, no longer confused, no longer misguided, no longer feeling a deficit of life, but I can walk as a whole person. I I wonder if that's you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know today you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just say this prayer right right where you are? It's not a prayer that does anything magical or saves you, but it's a reflection of what's going on in your heart right now. Say, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I I need to put my trust in you. I've been trusting in myself, my own ability, my own way. And today I surrender to you. Would you teach me from this day forward? how to follow after you. Forgive me of my sins. Would you empower me to walk as your disciple to change this world and make a difference where I can? In your name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, just for my sake, would you, if you just prayed that with me, would you just put your hand up in the air right here, Milford? Man, hands going up all over, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, amen. Amen, amen. You can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Pastor Mark's gonna come up in a second. He'll tell you exactly what what you guys can do if you just prayed that prayer. We wanna walk with you in that. He'll give you some next steps. But I just wonder as we close right now, if there are people for the rest of us who are coming to mind that you need to have a conversation with this week and invite. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus did something that we've never seen next week? That this revival that's been stirring, that it gets catapulted, that it just jumps out of the gate next week because you, because us, because our faith was put into action. Jesus, we just ask right now that you would bring people to mind, that you would give us courage as we leave from here to have the conversations we need to have, to step out in faith. Jesus, if four men can can see that happen for their friend, what could we see happen? What could hundreds of people who who act in faith, what could we see happen? Give us the faith and the eyes to see that, to believe it, and to step into it. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.